Welcome to First Trade, the show where we're educating new investors and traders. We recognize that some of us are experienced traders and some of us aren't. That's why we wanted to level the playing field and make the markets accessible to everyone. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Benzinga First Trade Show, the show where we are making trades, talking about the first trades for brand new investors who haven't traded before, just getting into the stock market, just getting started with their first trades. Here with Rohan, the co-host. How's what it up? going, Rohan? It's going fantastic. I am excited to be a first-time trader. So, yeah, just to give you guys some background, this is the first episode of First Trade, and I'm very excited to be here because, you know what, I've worked at Benzinga for a couple months now, and I've been around a whole bunch of traders, and just... I felt left out, you know, <laughs> like, I feel like it's time to join the party. I'm excited. And just, yes, ex to give you guys some background, the whole point of the show, like we mentioned a little bit in the intro, is really beginner. We're going to take you on the first step. We're going to take me on the first step. And we're going to go, you know, follow along on the journey. This is supposed to be a community where we can all take from first trade to, you know, pro trader someday, maybe, or, or at least not a noob. <laughs> Without further ado, as we mentioned, that is the premise of the show. So why don't we give you guys a little bit of background because you don't know me. I, I Do I know you? I don't think I know you. So Michael, what's what's your background in trading? What does it look like? So I mean, I work at Benzinga. I've been investing actively, I would say for about four years, give or take. I made my first trade when I was 18. I started a brokerage account with Robinhood. That was the first brokerage I used. I made my first trade in a solar stock that I think was about 23 three dollars that was my first trade and yeah just kind of was off to the races since then just made a little bit bigger trades here and there um, started getting into options started getting into more advanced stuff um, but that was that was kind of my start I, I wanted to get into the stock market I enjoyed it I liked reading about it I thought it was pretty sweet that's probably the biggest reason I did it because I thought it was cool and then I got into it and realized I actually liked it so yeah I just, I just built a little bit of experience it's been four years um, I learned a little bit more here and there every trade I make I learn more I, I lose I win I make money Every single time I do it, I, I gain a little bit more knowledge. And that's how I wound up here working at this company. Um, Benzinga gives me you know, great stock market knowledge every day, helps me trade a little bit more as I am. So that's how we wound up here. Boom, knowledge. So I guess it's my turn for a little bit of background. Let me set the stage. I have not bought a stock. I have not like invested. I like to say a couple of months ago, but in reality, about seven months ago in like July, I decided I had saved up enough money and it was about time that I got into my retirement savings. So I started a Roth IRA with E-Trade, just for transparency there, and I put about $2,500 into it. The thing is, I haven't done anything with that $2,500 since. It's kind of just sitting in the account. <laughs> so I, I need to like, my plan was, from what I what I had heard, is basically I was going to buy like an index fund or like VTI Vanguard index fund or or SPY something that is a safe investment. Like I said, this is a show for beginners, so if you don't know what that is, don't worry, we'll explain it. And you know, I just haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, so I, that'll definitely happen. Um, we're here to do before the next episode, and if it doesn't, then you know. You can make fun of me. We can endlessly roast Rohan in the <laughs> chat in all of the comments forever. Oh boy! Yeah. So yeah, that that's my that's my current experience level. You know now it's out there. As an as a beginner, there are three primary questions that I think anyone getting into investing or or first getting into trading stocks, their first questions would be: one, you need a brokerage to trade stocks, right? You need to use a platform. 
And so how do, you, how do you go about deciding that? That's going to be one of the questions I wanted to ask. Why pick a certain platform over the other? Two, not everyone's going to trade the same. Not everyone has the same goal with trading, right? There might be some people who, foreshadowing to our guest coming on later, are value investors. They're thinking long term. They're in for the hold. And there's other people who are going to be making swing trades, which basically is like shorter term trades. You know, you get in, you get out, try and like make some money on the, you know, difference. And then there's going to be like people who are interested in day trading. So a little bit I'd like to know about trading styles and why one might pick one or the other. For the last question is how did you and how should everyone here decide, you know, what, what amount should I put into my first trade? What's appropriate there? How much should be a safe investment? How much money should I play with? You know what? Why don't we start off with that brokerage yeah, question? Three separate questions. You have a lot of respect for my memory. Don't you? <laughs> so yeah. I, I will bring them up again. Don't worry. I'm just trying to let, I'm just trying to like put them out there <laughs> so I don't forget. So I got them. I think I could rattle through all three. I think I could. Boom. Do it. Yeah, let's do it. Right now. Okay. Speed round. There's plenty of platforms for all kinds of investors. Brand new people, experienced investors, whatever you are, some of these apps will, and platforms will serve all of them. Okay. So. One of the great ones, obviously, that, that I like to use, one of the first apps I used was Webull. Um, Webull has an awesome trading platform, super, super simple to use, um, no fees, no commissions or anything. It's just making trades. It's got a very easy to use platform. It teaches you how to do it as you go. Charts are easy to read. It gives you really good information, especially when you're starting off. And even when you become an experienced investor, the same information is still there to help you regardless. So when it comes to brokerages, Webull's one of my favorites. It doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of other good ones out there. There are a lot of there are a lot of brokerages, a lot of apps that are all going to perform the same functions. It's just a matter of kind of sampling them out and seeing what you like and don't like and just making a selection that works for you. I feel like, yeah, everything at this point, there isn't going to be a brokerage that's going to really like screw you over or anything like that. It's more about figuring out what works for you, what works for your level of investing. Like, obviously, we have some popular choices like Robinhood, whatever it might be the current situation. It, it is a popular app. It was number one on the app store. So yeah. like, and for the reason being that it, it had a, a low barrier to entry, it was very popular because it's simple. Ones like E-Trade I brought up earlier, like that that one's a very reputable one. I saw their commercial on the Super Bowl the other day, right? Like they're, they're kind of getting to the point where they're slowly becoming a household name. A TD Ameritrade is something that I think mm -hmm. you use. All these platforms from what I understand, are pretty much going to do the same thing other than some might give you more advanced trading options. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's better to get something that has the capability to you know, grow with you that for you could, to grow into? Or do you think it's better to get something that's like a little bit more basic at the start that you know makes it easier for you to make those first steps? So that's, that's going to depend. And I mean, I don't think it's I, I don't think you want to focus on finding a brokerage that can do that advanced stuff until later on down the road. Um, and you may pick a brokerage that you really like that does the beginner stuff that also can give you the advanced options later on when you're a more experienced investor. But I mean, I think the focus should be getting an app that just meets your needs as a beginning investor. Find something that really makes sense to you, that doesn't get confusing, that's going to give you the trades you need and just start small. You know, don't don't start, you know, worrying about will this app be able to give me, you know, options trades and stuff down the road because you're not trading options yet. You're just getting started. And then, you know, if, if you need to switch brokerages down the road, you want to find something more advanced. No one's holding your money hostage. Like you can take it and move to a different app or platform. So I definitely say you would, you would want to start out small and just find something that makes sense and that builds your confidence and move up from there. Trading styles, I think that was the second question as long as correct. I that correctly. So trading styles, that's going to depend. And, and I think, you know, 
again, in foreshadowing to the guests we have later on the show, you want to start off small and build confidence with, with trades that you know with the company that you're investing in. So start off with something small and hold it for a while. See how it does. Buy a company you believe in. Buy in a company where you believe in their product. You trust them as a, as a company. And, and you want to see them grow. So start off small and, and don't get into day trading and swing trading and try and, you know, run before you can walk. Start off with something that you can actually trust in as a company and that you're invested in seeing it growing. So that would be my, my recommendation for trading style is starting off small. So what about the amount? Like, how do you decide what to first um, first yes. invest? How do you decide, you know, what, what portion of your income to put towards this thing? So that's a great question. When you're first starting out, I think the biggest thing is not to invest more than you would be comfortable losing. For example, when I made my first trade with Enphase, when I got my first brokerage account, which I think, like I said, it was it was Robinhood, and then I got into Weeble as well. I took what's called your discretionary money, or your money that you know would be considered fun money or extra money. Basically, right? like all of your income minus your expenses, right? Exactly, right. What's that leftover amount that you don't need to pay your expenses or your bills and it's just kind of like extra money for, you know, uh, the movies or, you know, extra, I don't know, pepperoni on your pizza. Like whatever <laughs> it is that you spend your money on, I took 10% of that money and I started using that for investing. That way, if, if I were to lose it, if I didn't know what I was doing, if I made a bad trade, it's not going to be a big deal if I lose it. Like I can still pay my rent, I can still pay my bills. And that was what I started with there. So I would say you start off with an amount that you would be comfortable losing if something were to go wrong and you lost it. Don't immediately mortgage your house and put all of your money in your first trade. Like, it's probably not a great strategy. You want to start small and build it up from there. So take a small amount of money from the money that you have extra every month and use that to invest into your first stock. You're starting off small. You don't know what strategies you want to do yet. You don't have your research figured out. You're just testing things out. So start off small. Take some money and just start playing around with it. The only way to start is to start. So you just start playing around with some money. Take it and make sure that you can afford to lose it if you do and start small. There's no reason to start yeah, with anything big. For sure. <laughs> One last thing I just kind of thought of there is I have to imagine there's a lot of people who are interested in making their first trade now or maybe have made their first trade, quote unquote, but then are looking to make like a more educated trade because of this whole meme stock thing. And I'm sure there's going to be some people in our audience who want to know, like, what's the next Wall Street bet stock? Like, I'm, I want to yeah. bet on that. I'd love to know, like, what your advice is for someone who wants to get into stocks and maybe wants to get into some, like, normal investing, for lack of a better word, but also is got interested in it because of the whole meme stock hype. And honestly, like, my personal opinion, I, I don't think it's so bad in the sense that people are getting interested in it. I think that's cool. It's a big topic, you know, in the community right now. Like you said, don't put anything in you're not willing to lose. Well, I'd say personally, I think be willing to lose it if you're going to put it in there. But I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on like the whole meme stock thing and as a first time investor getting into that? Yeah, I mean, that's see, that's a great question. It's super relevant right now, too, because I, like gambling investing or whatever you want to call it, irresponsible investing has always been around, um, but it only became like a big deal with like the GameStop craze and the Wall Street bets thing and everything, because we now have the ability to, you know, basically control the market with just social interactions and Reddit threads and stuff. That's never really been a thing before, but I definitely wouldn't recommend getting into investing, counting on that as a strategy. I mean, because you said it really well, it is gambling. It's not necessarily a strategy. You're not doing it based on revenue. You're not doing it based on money or profits. You're doing it based on, I, I think this is a popular thing and I think other it's people hype. are going to do it. Dogecoin, yeah, Dogecoin is all hype. 
I don't know. It's something that's happening right now, and I think it's something that's going to be on the minds of a lot of new investors. I know I was thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the guest can probably speak to that too. He's going to talk about you know holding stocks that you like and know and how you want to get experience in that. Like I said, I, I would say it's it's definitely becoming a thing, and I would definitely keep your eye on it. But as you get into investing, you definitely want to worry about fundamentals. You want to make sure you know the research, know the stock you're getting into, and just get the basics covered. And then, I mean, if by some god's luck you manage to figure out why some stocks go up in Reddit threads, I mean that's fantastic. Like right, good for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I would definitely say you want to get into it, know the strategies, and actual stock picking. And get those fundamentals figured out first. Awesome, awesome. All right, guys, we know this is the the first episode, and so I just wanted to, you know, step aside and make a note that if you want to see more, like we're super excited, we want to do more of these, uh, and we want to kind of grow together. But you guys got to let us know. You got to smash that like button down below, leave a comment, turn on the notification bell because the plan is to do a once a week show. And you got to let us know if you want to keep seeing our beautiful or ugly faces, however you might describe them. Um, And also wanted to mention that moving forward, uh, starting with episode two, we're going to be answering audience questions. So you can submit those questions on Twitter or in our Discord, which will be linked down below. We want to create a community. We want to grow together. We want to be able to answer questions. And I want to be able to ask questions, to be honest. I'm sure there's some people in the audience who know more than what we know. And the idea is we all grow together. That was my little plug. Boom. There we go. Perfect word. I was missing it. But without further ado, don't want to make you guys wait any longer for our amazing guest, Michael. I'm going to throw it to you. Why don't you intro him? All right. At this point, we're going to welcome on our first guest in the first trade show, a good friend of the Benzinga show, frequent guest on the Power Hour, Jack Hurley. Jack has been with Benzinga, connected with Benzinga for quite a while. Yeah, he's um, been on the Power Hour quite a bit. At least, I think at least four or five times since I've been producing the show um, and has always been an awesome guest. That's why we have him back. Uh, audience seems to love him there. Personally, I, I wanted to see him on the show because I think he's just really good at calling out some awesome stock picks, has a really good track record, and I think he's a smart guy at the end of the line. You know, he knows what he's doing, and I think he's a great person to learn from. Yeah, he's a great first guest. I mean, some of his stock picks are unbelievable. We've got UAVS. He shared that at 32 cents. It's up to 13.36 now. CLSK, he shared at $1.70. It's up to $36. ENG. 280 now writing at seven dollars and fifty cents he's got an amazing track record of success and he's good at calling things out before people see them coming to he rides those trends and he gets in before everybody else kind of rides that bandwagon so let's welcome jack early to the show excited to have him on Woo. let's bring him on hey guys jack, what's up how's it going How jack? good man good to see you guys again always glad to be on same here same here glad to have you on so welcome to the first trade show um we're talking to investors that have not made their first trade before are starting to take that journey there's nobody better to learn from than you with your track record of success with how you do with stock picks so we're just going to get a little bit of info from you go through some of your trading strategy talk about some of the things you're most interested in what you think is going up and honestly rohan and i are both pretty excited to, to just learn some stuff for our own stock picks too so let's get into it sounds good man happy to do it a lot of this audience might not know who you are. We did, I think we did a pretty good job of, of giving a little bit of, about you, but if you wanted to just give some background on yourself, uh, I think we'd love to hear that. Sure, so a little bit of background about me. I, uh, I was actually born in Russia, in, uh, in Tula, Russia, and brought over to the US when I was three years old. I was lucky enough to have a family adopt me when I was little, and actually they worked on Wall Street for a, a lot of years. And so I grew up in a house that was constantly talking about monetary policy and what the Fed was doing and stocks. And so. I inadvertently had, you know, 10 or 15 years of just stocks in my head for that long and watching the price of them appreciate. And then I had, I was very lucky to watch 
uh, the testimony of Warren Buffett during the crisis when he bought uh, the distraught bank. And he talked about, you know, if you if you lose a dollar for the firm, I will be uh, forgiving. If you lose a shred of reputation, I will be, uh, you know, absolutely ruthless. And so when I heard that, I looked at, you know, kind of the leadership style there and I decided, you know, what is he doing? Because I, I should do something similar to that. And that's when I stumbled upon value investing. Um, I read a, a couple of books on the topic. I looked at some analytical books for securities analysis to understand what a business is, how it should operate, and kind of the golden rules that make one successful versus another. And so around the age of 15, I started investing personally, uh, and I was in quite an amount of debt for school. And so that was my original motivating factor was to get out of student loan debt. I've been investing in businesses for about 14 years now, and I specialize in what I would call secular social trends and emerging technologies. And so what I do there is, is I look for something that I think society is moving towards at a, at a pace that is undeniable. Within five or 10 years, if it doesn't happen, there's more problems than we would imagine. You know, early on in 2000 and I'd say 12 or 13, I looked at the paradigm of the marijuana sector and said, you know, that gate's probably gonna get broken down. And so I bought what was an OTC stock at the time, uh, Canopy Growth, which was called Tweet, T-W-M-J-F. And my broker actually called me and he said, you know, what are you doing buying this OTC stock? Very risky. Uh, you got to be careful buying these things. You know, I talked to him recently and reminded him that that's now, a, you know, a $10 billion plus business. And so <laughs> there, there were similar attributes to that business then than I see today now in other sectors. And there's certain things that are really important about a health of a business. And so I specialize in going through 10 Qs. PR, leadership, advisory boards, every element of a business. And there's really a very high threshold for me to purchase your shares. And so I think for an early investor, it's really important that they consider those things and to have appetite for the right businesses at the right prices. And then aside from that, you know, the last couple of years have really been very life-changing for me. And so I've, I've branched out into talking to other people about the market rather than just myself, which includes, you know, coming on your show. And so the last two years or so, I've really been opening up to the, the public and getting a feel for what is it that I can share with other people to make their portfolios look a little bit more like mine. And so that's, that's kind of my transformation. I'm the youngest of five, so I've got a lot of siblings. I've had four other people to learn from what not to do for a long time. Um, I, you know, I, I think without my family, I wouldn't be who I am today. And so that's, you know, that's, that's me. I'm all about giving back. Um, I'm a community guy. I, I'm very humble. You know, I wear the same clothes almost all the time. I'm wearing the same pair of jeans, same shirts. So you're not going to catch me in a Rolex. You're not going to have me in a McLaren anytime soon. I may splurge on a, on a Roadster one day when that finally does come out. You know, that's me in a nutshell. Awesome, man. I guess the idea with the show is to be very much so like beginner friendly. If lingo comes up, then just kind of like break it down a little bit. For me, like I, I have a little bit of exposure working here, but I really don't know anything much beyond that about investing. But like things like OTC really quickly, do you want to explain what the OTC is? Absolutely. So OTC is over the counter. Um, there's two terms that are going to be associated with that over the counter and pink sheets. And those are technically two different things. And so sometimes people use them synonymously, but they're they're, they're different definitions, but those are securities that don't trade on major exchanges. And so that means they haven't fulfilled certain filing requirements or a market cap that would command them to be recognized by somebody like the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ or the Dow Jones. That's that's an OTC. Okay, got you. And so typically those are like, from from what I understand, those are typically like smaller and a little bit more risky. Yeah, there's, there's more risk associated with them. I would tell you, and I would caution anyone starting to invest to treat every business the same. And so personally, I read every single business as if it's the first time I'm reading about them, similar to a person that you would work with, right? Or somebody you would allow to, you know, intermingle with your product. If you were, if you were working on a project at work, right? 
and you were a co and you were you had a colleague when you want to know everything about them to an extent where you'd feel comfortable putting your project working together and knowing it would turn out well I would tell them to treat the business the same way. And so there are some OTC stocks that are very risky that you can't find a lot of information on. And the health, when you look at their balance sheet, isn't quite there. And so, but there are some OTCs that I will tell you are very healthy that have a very good, you know, for example, asset to liability ratio, which is something I focus on a lot, which if you were to put it in human terms would be like, how much money do I have versus how much money do I owe? And so like, that's a ratio I pay attention to a lot because if I was to invest in a person, I would want them to have more money than they owe to something else. And so going forward, like some OTC stocks I have seen have 10 to one or 20 to one asset to liability ratios. So if they have a good business and they have healthy standing in, in terms of a bank or, or financials, um, just because they're OTC shouldn't be a reason not to buy that, that business. Okay. So I know Michael, you probably have some questions, but one thing that uh, and this is the first episode, but something that we thought might be a cool idea just to ask any guests that we bring on, you know, in reference to the name, do you remember your first trade? And can you just walk us through a little bit of why you chose that as your first trade? How did it go? My first trade ever. Wow, that's a, that's a tough question. And two of them is, is in my memory. Uh, the first is Pepsi. And so the reason I bought Pepsi was because as a kid, I would consume Pepsi all the time. I would go home from school and I would drink a Pepsi. I would get a, a water and I would read the back of the labels for the nutritional facts. And I would realize that Pepsi actually also makes water. And so I would <laughs> look at what, how I lived, right? And what I consumed. And I would read all the labels and see what company that was. And then I would go look on the stock exchange and see if they were traded. And so Pepsi was one of the first companies that I saw on a can. I liked their product, I consumed it, I knew how much it cost, and I just thought to myself, you should invest in what you know, what you're familiar with, what you consume. And so if you were that person, and in 19, it had to be like 99 was when I started looking at that, um, I, was, I was eight years old, um, but in 2013, I started buying PepsiCo at a very, you know, much more heavier appetite, if you will. But in 09010 is when I bought my first share of Pepsi and they were paying a dividend. I think they were, you know, high 20s uh, around that. And I just took the money I earned from doing chores or whatever it was, and I would go buy Pepsi shares. The second was Netflix. And that was because they were transitioning from the DVD business into the into streaming and their shares got pummeled. And that was the next foray where I consumed their product. I used to actually buy the DVDs. And I, I remember those. My, right? And the red, the red box, right? He would go get the DVDs, whatever it was. And there was just something about Reed Hastings that the enthusiasm he had for his vision was appealing to me from a leader. And so Netflix was my second purchase. And Tesla was shortly thereafter, um, and I think 2014, 2015. And then after that, it was just nonstop. Um, how, how old were you when you made that first Pepsi trade? Oh my God, I think 14. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that was my, yeah. that was my first stock purchase. And you know, I, I think I bought 3M was another one cause it was a staple when I would get the, 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 the tape products and the thumbtacks and all those other things that was 3M. And so when I did a school project, I would say, oh, it's 3M. I know 3M. It's, it's a ticker I can go buy. <laughs> first ones too. Yeah. Really? All right. Yeah. And and so I went with what was comfortable to me. I knew it was a consumer product. Uh, and, and my first 10Q, my first 10Q that I read was Pepsi as well. And so 
I, I then I moved on to Berkshire Hathaway after I watched all the, the you know the Warren Buffett videos and everything else and read Benjamin Graham and then it was just addictive after that. Awesome. I kind of I almost want to piggyback off of one of those questions because when you talked about you know being convicted about a company that you want to buy something you know something you trust. And I love the analogy of like comparing it to a person. You want that person to have more money than they owe. I'm looking at CLSK, which is one of the ones you bought at $2 a share. It's now a 1500% gainer. When you're looking at companies like that, when you're considering investing in something that you, you know, you want that person to have more money than they owe, you want this company to have more money than they owe. What gives you the conviction to buy and hold these under the radar companies? What's your process like in determining that Yes, they do have more money than they owe. This is a solid, healthy choice. I want to do this. What's your process like for that? Um, so I, I'll look at the the existing financial sheet. So that's a 10, 10Q or a, a quarterly statement. And I'll actually look at the previous four quarterly statements and then the last year's annual statement. And so my first gut check is to ask myself, uh, how much cash do they have on hand? How much money do they anticipate making in revenue from their product? And every company is different. But in the case of, of CleanSpark, I noticed a company that had a patent on a microgrid or fractal grid distribution energy resources um, that was very technically savvy. And so the margins on that as a business are very high. They're excess of 60 to 90%. And so when I looked at, uh, at something like CleanSpark for, for your, your question, I looked at how much cash they have on hand, how much revenue they could generate in the next, let's say, five to 10 years, right? Looking at the at the compounded annual growth rate or the CAGR of that industry, which is very high. And then I asked myself, if they had to take out debt, right, to, to function as a business, how much would it be and would that outsize or would that overwhelm the revenue that they would generate over that period of time? When I did that calculation and I looked at their balance sheet, they were a $10 million company in, in market cap at $1.84, um, which is almost, you know, uh, 10 million shares outstanding, you know, give or take a little bit. And they were anticipating doing 10 million in revenue in that year. And so when you put the compounded annual growth rate next to that $10 million in that year, you know, you can anticipate that company probably growing 100%, 200% or 300% in the coming years. And so when I looked at that and I knew the margins were high, right? The margins are 90%, 80% on software for, for microgrids. And I saw that in society, microgrids and DER, the adoption rate was through the roof. Every country that I could think of, Saudi Arabia, Africa, Australia, South America, US, Canada, et cetera, are all talking about microgrids and responsive distribution of energy, meaning uh, smart grids or AI integrated, uh, you know, energy distribution. And so personally, I'll tell you that I went to a whiteboard about two years ago and I drew a, a schematic for a company I wanted to start called All-in-One Energy. And so when I thought of that on a whiteboard because of a, uh, the patent that I drew up and I saw that CleanSpark owned that patent, I realized that, you know, microgrids and DERs are going to happen. And so I want a piece of that early. And so I started looking up every company I could find that had patents on microgrids and DERs. Your con my conviction rate to hold and own this company was based on all those factors coming together at just the right time. And so I found something I was researching on my own for, for school. I found a patent that was very protective over a period of time. And I recognized that over the next five years, this company is gonna generate more revenue than they were worth on the open market. And so those all of those factors uh, contributed to my purchase of that at that particular price. That was very interesting. 
It's something you've talked about a little bit before on the Power Hour as well. With energy, that seems to be like a, a big field that you've been invested in with, I think it was ENG, that was one of them. That was a big one for you, right? And, and CLSK, that's what we just talked about. I guess like a big thing that we were going to talk, like I know Michael and I spoke about, and, and you mentioned it not too long ago too, is investing in what you know, what you're interested in. So you went to school, what did you go for to school for again? So I did my undergrad at Villanova, actually in Pennsylvania for chemistry. And I, I specialized in organic, uh, synthetic organic chemistry. And so I, I initially wanted to go cure Alzheimer's. And so I, I did an internship at Pfizer to work on that um, and ended up pivoting to, to energy. And I worked at, uh, I work at ExxonMobil currently, and I'm going to grad school for an MBS in sustainability. And so for the last two and a half years, I've been entrenched in everything energy from policy to engineering to, you know, you name it. And so that kind of drew me into the, you know, the energy sector, working in the sector for multiple years obviously helps. But the key thing about the the investment part there is that I saw a paradigm changing, right? And so when I drew on my whiteboard, the all-in-one energy concept that I wanted to own and make a business out of, which I will not have the opportunity to do, unfortunately, I saw energy becoming a two-way street, right? Rather than a one-way street. And so as a consumer of energy, I realized that there's going to be a day where I have a battery in my home and I'm going to be able to negotiate where I push those electrons locally. And for decades, it's been a utility to consumer relationship. And that's changing. When you see a paradigm that's changing like that and it's, you know, swiftly changing in either law, policy, economics, you know, everything. And the technology is there to back it and it exists today. You better invest in that because in five to 10 years, it's going to be commonplace. And that's happened across the board. Look at airlines, look at car companies, look at EVs, look at drones, microgrids. The pace at which that's happening because of computing power and also technology, right? Those two, those two curves are exponential. Because those are moving so quickly, all these problems that we've had to solve uh, from, you know, from disease to you know, technology to like you know, uh, genetic sequencing, and you talk about all those things, the time that we're going to need to solve those problems are going to get shrunken significantly. And so the time to invest in those things is also going to become more important because you're not going to have 10 years to go invest in, for example, AI integrated microgrids because it's going to be here in five years. And so that's another thing I would caution a new investor to do is to think to themselves, what are the things in a couple of years, a paradigm that I think is going to shift whether it's a social mentality towards a product like mushrooms or psilocybin, or it's AI integrated microgrids or the, the utility re relationship with consumers um, or drones delivering your goods to your doorstep. A new investor has to ask themselves, what should I be buying for five years from now rather than today? That's awesome. And I, and I love that you mentioned that. Um, kind of, so I, that little tip at the end there towards the beginner investor um, to think about you know, in what amount of time is something going to change? I think that's like especially useful for someone just getting started, people who are like yeah. maybe hesitant, but also people who might be excited to kind of jump the gun. I think it's uh, a great point to think about. Something, because this was my second question um, related to your energy research, is, you know, you went into a lot of details there. And for someone who's just getting started, that can sound like a scary process. And in fact, I feel like e maybe even for myself, it might feel like something that, you know, you, it kind of ties you up where you're, you're like, uh, okay, so I got to figure out this research thing. 
really i'm sure it's really not all that complicated but to me it does sound like so yeah it could feel overwhelming at first it right? can feel warm oh exactly so you're going to ask from a beginning standpoint what are the key four or five things that you can do to start and you know so you don't have to read every quarterly statement or every time you know those are hundreds Boom. of pages sometimes, yeah right how, how do you um, do like your due diligence on like the most simple level. level. Yeah, so key barriers that I stick to from a from a, a value investing standpoint is, you know, what's going to protect me on the downside. And I think early investors have to know, you know, key things like what am I buying, right? What is the product that I'm buying into? And so the first thing you should know about any business is what is their product. You know, and and what are, what are the margins on that product? When they go from A to Z, what money do do they take home? on an annual basis, on a monthly basis, on a, a quarterly basis, and write down that number. Then you wanna ask yourself, okay, what's the growth rate of that revenue? Is that gonna get bigger? Is it gonna get smaller? Are they gonna launch new products or not? You know, Or not? Or are they gonna have less products next year than they do this year? And then you should really ask yourself, what do they owe? What are their total liabilities? I like to do nothing over five PE, and PE is called price to earnings. And what PE tells you is what premium you're going to pay for a business. And so as a value investor, I don't like to buy anything over a PE of eight. And I have bought things over a PE of eight. I'm not perfect, right? Nobody is. But I like to stick around that five or under um, PE. And so if I can find something that's under five PE in an ocean where people are paying hundreds, if not thousands of PE, right? I mean, you look at Tesla, you look at Amazon, you look at Apple, people are over, people are just paying, you know, absurd premiums for bit and they're justified, right? These are, these are great businesses that are doing phenomenal margins and are massive conglomerates, right? And so it's not that they don't command the PE, but from an early investor standpoint, you should ask yourself, how cheap can I get a business relative to that revenue number over the next five years? And so a five of PE would say that you're paying what that business will make in revenue in the next five years. So if you if I put it back to the human metaphor, right? I wanna buy into a colleague. If I'm gonna invest in a person, I'm gonna say, I'm willing to pay what you'll generate in the next five and maybe 10 years. I'm not gonna go past that threshold. And so having discipline to not overpay for an asset in the market is really important. Because I think when, when early investors get in trouble is when they're paying 100 PE or 50 PE and then something happens with the business where it doesn't command that market cap anymore. And that's when a lot of people get punished because they, and it's not because they were wrong with the business. The business could be perfectly healthy. It's just you pay too much for the asset. And so where I like to really dig my feet in is where I say, I'm not willing to pay over five, maybe 10 PE. And I'll, I'll sit back and wait, you know, I'll wait until it's the right price. And I think early investors should always be sitting back and waiting for the right price rather than jumping in to, to buy it today and immediately. Um, and I think the discipline uh, level of an early investor will dictate uh, their success rate. And I think my thresholds, like I have an appetite level where if I'm, if I'm looking to buy a security and I know what revenue they make, I'm gonna set immediately you know, a floor where I'm very aggressive in buying a security and a ceiling where I cut off my appetite. And so, ENG is a great example of that. When I first saw ENG, it was sub a dollar and I was starting to read into it. I wasn't convinced. So I, you know, I took a couple of weeks to read into the stock. You know, unfortunately it went to 270, 250. And I said, okay, I, you know, 
I'm convinced at that level. After I've read all the things, I called the company, talked to the leadership. I understood their product. I knew the revenue that they were making and the margins that they had. And so I set a floor of $2 where I said, all right, if it goes to $2, I'm going to get really aggressive in buying the, the security. But I also set a ceiling of about $5 or maybe $4.50, I think was my number. And where I said at $4.50, as wonderful as a business as it is, I can't justify paying more than $4.50 per share. Then the game is on. Then it's like I'm going to buy every other week or every other day until it hits that $4.50 number. And hopefully I get to a share count where if that company really takes off, I don't need more shares, right? And so, you know, if ENG goes to 12, I'm sure I'm going to get calls of people saying, are you selling? Are you selling? Are you selling? I'm going to go look back at the, at the, at the books and ask myself, is there anything that's changed with the business that would cause me to pay 1250 for this company? And if there is, maybe I do go buy more shares, but I always make sure that I reevaluate after any appreciation or depreciation of the asset, setting those limits, understanding the revenue numbers and not overpaying for an asset is probably the top three things I would say for somebody just getting into investing because it's going to keep them from overpaying where then, you know, it gives you a margin. There's a, there's a chapter in intelligent investor uh, 20 that talks about a margin of safety, right? And that margin of safety is how much an asset can depreciate before you lose money. And I think one of the most important things is to, is to first and foremost, develop a margin of safety in any security that you hold. And so what I was doing by buying UABS at 60 cents and CleanSpark at $2 was I was saying, I want at least you know six months of a margin of safety, which equated to several thousand percent in appreciation before I lose money. And so if early investors can have that concept of a margin of safety and buy it up into a point and then let Mr. Market kind of do his thing, that definitely protects a lot of consumers on the market from losing money in the open field. Awesome. That's awesome. So one question, I, I love what you said there, and I kind of love the idea of setting the floor and the ceiling. Deciding something like that at the starting might help take the emotions out of it too, where it's much so like, you know, this is like the value. This is where I'm going to get value from it. So I, I think that's yeah. awesome. Part of this episode is I'm, I'm actually going to be making my first trade at the end of this episode. Oh so, boy. Well, I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> so one, one quick question for you, since I'm going to be doing that. You mentioned price earnings a lot. Is that number something that's like right there when you're when you're in your doing your research, like on a graph or whatever? Is that something easy to find or do you have to kind of calculate that? So a lot of platforms will give it to you anywhere. Like, you know, you go to Bloomberg, you go to Yahoo and there is a P number there. I'm old school. I like to go to the quarterly and I'll look at their revenue number and I'll look at their cost of the revenue and that'll give me my idea. So if a company's making, for example, 20 million per quarter, right in revenue, I would say they're going to make, you know, 80 million per year. And if I think that that company is worth a five PE, then I'm willing to pay 400 million for that business, you know, just off of the, off the back of my head. That would depend on a lot of other factors, like the growth rate of that sector, uh, the appetite for their business and the growth that's anticipated for that, that company in particular. Um, but that's like a good starting point to say, what's the revenue that they're going to make uh, for which one that you're going to pick? I don't, I don't know. I'm happy to bounce a little bit of a rationale off back and forth if you want later in whatever company that you choose. But five is like a pretty decent number. In today's market, something runs up 100 PE or 50 PE. You really have to wonder if it's, if it's worth that premium. And so I go right to the 10 Q and I'll look at what performance they've done over the last four quarters and I'll look at an average of their revenue run rate over those four quarters. Cause some, some businesses are very seasonal. And so the quarter that you're looking at today could be better or worse than you know the last quarter or last year. 
And so I do a full year assessment of that revenue number and I take an average over that time and I'll ask myself, okay, in four years, what's, what can that number be in collective? And then I'll times that by five. And that'll, that'll give me a little bit of a, an idea of what I should pay for that business. Yeah, I, mean, I guess one of the things I'm curious about um, is graphing, specifically because when you're talking about finding these stocks you know, at their lower PE ratio before they become a big deal, jumping on that trend early and putting in the legwork to find these companies before they become a big deal. Tell us a little bit more about that space. It's it's one of the big sectors that you're focused on. You're talking about it quite a bit. Why is that? What do you see in graphene? What do you think makes it such a big opportunity? Um, what's making you so bullish or, or so excited about this? And, and why should we be looking out for it? So graphene, in my undergrad at Villanova, I did graphene nanomaterials, right? I did, I did antibiotic uh, attachment for graphene for delivery systems. And uh, some of the properties of graphene are very, very interesting when you look at it from an engineering perspective. So graphene is one of those materials that was only recently discovered in the UK, right? I mean, recently, when you talk about scientific discoveries, right? So, you know, a few decades ago at this point, but when you look at it from a structural standpoint for metallics or for construction or for cars, boats, planes, trains, and a lot of the, the vehicles that we use today, graphene is a lot lighter, right? And so... As an example, if you were to replace a lot of components in an EV with graphene, right, it would bring down the weight and it would also allow you to get a lot more mileage out of that vehicle. And so if you apply that across planes, boats, trains, and a lot of other things that we use to transport people, um, that would be a huge advantage. The other thing about it is the conductivity. And so graphene has an unbelievable conductivity rate because of its, uh, I don't want to get too much into the science of it, but uh, the, the electron transfer at the D orbital level for graphene, because of its physical and, and, and actual arrangement molecularly is unbelievable. When I was an undergrad, you know, my professor said if somebody was able to commercialize a nitrogen doped graphene supercapacitor, that would be a big deal. And now it's 2021 and that's happening. Right. And so when I look at what I was listening to as an undergrad, and it's all happening now, graphene is one of those concepts that has applications across the board. You can use graphene for anti-corrosion and rusting applications in chemical dispersion on a film. If you think about that, that's going to disrupt a lot of the chemical industry when you talk about uh, anti-corrosion layers on all the things that we use from paint on a drywall to coatings on your car or your plane to protect the components. In addition to that, it also has semiconductor applications for batteries and for computer chips for both the electrical properties and the storage properties and the computing properties of a lot of other semiconductor chips. And so when I look into all these graphing companies and I see them disrupting each one of these verticals that exist today with a, with a material that isn't yet really commercialized on a large scale, all of those things make me really excited for the future of graphene. And so as a chemist, I know the potential disruption factor, which is something I focus on a lot um, in all of those markets. And in addition to that, when I see the margins that they're achieving with graphene, I mean, they're very high. You're talking 70 to maybe 90% margin on, this gra on, on graphene on the commercial side. You know, when I look at the range of applications that it could be used on, and I look at the, the margins on the product, and I look at some of the big names that are investing in it, all those factors kind of come into play. You know, you talk about Rolls-Royce uh, has a very big stake in one of the companies I'm very interested in. There's one in particular, Applied Graphene, and they, they've been working on this dispersion technology for graphene onto coatings. And it looks like they're finally getting a lot of traction in terms of chemical distributors 
using their product. When I see that hurdle and that you know energy barrier getting broken down for actual applications, sales to to a customer, and then the margins are that attractive, it just you know it, it just makes sense to invest in the sector. And so personally, I wish more people would would recognize the potential of graphene. But I think you know, given that I've been waiting almost seven years since undergrad. Uh, to invest in graphene companies, and I was involved in the undergrad research at Villanova, I think that's about an adequate amount of time to have to wait as an investor to invest in something of the future. And so I think early investors should also have that in mind where this isn't something I thought of you know, two weeks ago sitting in my room looking at an article or a patent that I, I read. It was something I, I lived and researched uh, at you know, 20 years old, and now I had to wait until I was you know, nearly 30 to invest in. And so that's kind of what gives me the conviction of, of, of that sector. That's so cool that you say that. Cause like, I remember like in high school or early high school for me, and, and you mentioned like maybe almost 10 years ago. So that, that sounds about right. I'm, I'm <laughs> closing in on that number of like, maybe like seven, eight years since I was in high school. We don't have um, to get into details. I remember like hearing about graphene and being very interested in it and thinking it was this like magic thing of the future. And I'm sure I didn't do nearly as much research in it as you did, but I was just in my high school science class thinking how awesome it was. So it's cool that, that you mentioned that like, you know, if you're want to be an early investor, but you've been doing research about it and you, you still waited that long to invest, you know, when you talk about it, it definitely seems like something that's going to be big, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better word in society. How long, how long out do you see that being like, when, when do you, when do you think so that- it's going to be part of our daily lives? You know, if I had a crystal ball and I could tell you when it's going to be mainstream, uh, I would love to have the answer. And part of the frustration of being an investor is that sometimes, uh, you know, the timing is very difficult to get right. And part of that can be emotionally taxing where, you know, graphene is something I'm very excited about when it's going to be in your phone, right? When, when is this battery going to be graphene? When is my uh, composite for my car going to be made of graphene? I would say when the economic barrier of cost of production uh, and implementation is low enough, and also when the societal pressure to apply it uh, to benefit the consumer is great enough to actually push push companies uh, to implement it in 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 mass scale. And I I would like to think that if I've waited ten years to get a publicly traded company that's specializing in graphene. In my in, in previous experience, it's typically two to five years out. And I say, I know that's a large range, you know, three years of a range, but it really depends on policy. It depends on the economic picture of, of how beneficial it is to the businesses to, to do it at scale. And then also it has to do with the engineering and to make sure that it can be done at scale. Solving those problems usually take two to five years in a lot of new applications. And so I would compare it to something like, space travel or 3D printing computer chips or human tissues, those took such a long time to, to actually get to market. Um, but the minute it was, it was feasible and economically beneficial to do so, and society demanded the change, it was right on the forefront. And so I feel, and you know, principle number one for me uh, is, is feel nothing, right? Leave emotions out of it. But in my experience, I think it's probably two to five years out. And so when I look at that, I'm asking myself, how can I position myself today so that in two years, um, I've already you know, bet on my horses and I'm well positioned for that, for that scale up for all these businesses. And I'm starting to see the scale happening on the balance sheets in terms of trades receivable and revenue numbers starting to get a lot, a lot larger. I'm waiting for the day that I see big PR 
around a phone battery or a car battery that actually implements graphene. And so I, I think the turning point will be when miners are starting to scale up and get it to, to production and then get that to these commercialization companies. When the commercialization companies have hundreds or thousands of percents revenue growth from the product actually reaching the consumer, you're too late. And so I think that period of time is probably two years minimum before you know, you're, it's kind of large scale. The way that you invest in this also is, is you want to benefit from all sides, right? Similar to other parts of value investing, you want to look at the supply chain and ask what benefits from this and how can I have exposure? And so for something like graphene, it's got to be mined, it has to be processed, and then it has to be commercialized. And so from an early investor standpoint, you should look at what sectors that you like to be involved in and ask yourself who else is involved, who else is impacted, and how else can I benefit from this change? And so, you know, it's not simple as, as one company or one application. You want to look at the whole picture and ask what companies or what entities are pushing that social change. And I think if you do that, you'll find that there's very interesting players at the table. Yeah, I appreciate it. Like I said, I think that sets such a good base. I mean, for the first trade show, I think that sets such a good base for the first trade for teaching people who don't know how or, or what they're looking for, kind of what to keep in mind. So keeping the whole picture in mind, looking at every factor and not just getting caught up in the hype train like GameStop <laughs> or one of the other stuff, <laughs> which I'm still sore about, but that's a side point. Anyway, Jack, we could keep you on all night. We don't want to take up your entire evening. Thank you for all the info, though. We appreciate you so much as a first guest. Great start. My One pleasure, thing, guys. if we could ask you, what should Rohan's first trade be? It's the first trade show. He's breaking into the market. He's about to show a market mover. What do you recommend? So, Any picks? I, so, Rohan, I got to tell you, I let me ask you a few questions first. It's your first trade or your first investment? Technically speaking, first stock trade slash investment. I, I've, had, I've delved into cryptocurrencies a little bit. All right. So I would say the first thing is to treat it like an investment, not a, and not a trade. Own a business that you think will do well over the long term at a price that's very attractive. I would caution you, your first stock, to own it for a year. Own it for beyond a year for two reasons. One is the tax, right? You don't want to pay short-term gains tax on your first stock if it does really, really well. And so at least wait the one year. And then for the second reason is because it'll remove emotion from your first business proposition. If you get rid of it in a month or in a quarter or whatever it may be, it becomes emotional, whether it does good or bad. Those would be my number one and number two things. What you should invest in, I would look into something that you find very interesting and that you interact with as a consumer on almost a daily, you know, monthly, yearly basis that you understand. So if you tell me that you're interested in something like semiconductors, go look into the semiconductor space and find something that's going to be interesting enough so that when they come out with a quarterly or they have a PR come out or they're doing a quarterly earnings call, you tune in. And so that would be my, my recommendation is, is find something you're passionate about, find a company that gets you excited and, and, and then look into it and own it for at least one year. I'll keep that in mind. I was definitely planning on trying to keep it over a year. Um, Michael and I talked about a little bit earlier in the episode, the difference between like short-term and long-term capital gains and um, kind of the difference and why you might want to avoid one or the other. So I guess, yeah, definitely not semiconductors for me. I, I don't think I'm quite there yet in terms of level of interest <laughs> or passion, although I do find them I don't know. I, I'm sure I find plenty of things that they're involved with cool. But for me, like being someone who's like in the video media space, creative like marketplace, that's probably somewhere where I'm going to be looking. Um, 
and paying attention. I know Michael and I were joking around a little bit before because I'm, I'm wearing some Lululemon pants. He's like, hey, maybe look at Lululemon. You know, they're, they're not doing too bad this year. You know, the big growth because of people wearing workout clothes at home or whatever. But then I got thinking about what you said with like kind of that, that entry price and not overpaying. So now I want to do my research and figure out. If you're into the athletic leisure space, I'll tell you that I overpaid for Under Armour quite some time ago. And so, you know, looking at Under Armour, I would I would do a second guess onto them and, and see what you think they're worth. I think they went as low as like $10 or something under that. GoPro was another one that was very beat up. But uh, but Under Armour, if you're into the athleisure sector and, and you're looking for something that people recognize, it's a brand that people know. And they had a little bit of, you know, they had a little bit of trouble in the past with their accounting practices and such. So Mr. Market has certainly given them a tough year, but you know, some businesses get beat up for a year or two. You buy them two years later, people completely forget about all those things. And so, that, you know, I would throw that onto the table. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I'll definitely keep an eye out for that one. I know I've been hearing about it a little bit in the office, but I'll do my research and I'm excited to, to figure that one out. Maybe I'll keep you updated. We'll bring you back on or something <laughs> like that later. But yeah, thanks, Jack, for coming on, for providing so much valuable insight, even even for me, like I, I feel like I learned quite a bit. Some of it I've heard before, but maybe not, you know, completely taken or understood. So I think you did a great job of explaining it there. That was amazing. Like I said, for the first trade show, <laughs> a first trade and a first guest, I couldn't have been any better. I'm super pumped to learn more about graphene. I've obviously been investing for a few years, but that's huge to me. I think that's going to be really big. So I can't wait to dig in and do some more research there. But awesome, man. Thank you. Couldn't couldn't thank you. Thank you, guys. Show. I, awesome. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Jack. Take Thanks. care, man. Take, Take care. care. All right. That was awesome. Jack was, like I said, I, that was a phenomenal person. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Show. Yeah. Couldn't be any better. So that was great. Um, I think that's great info. I can't wait to dig into graphene. Like I said, I'm, I'm definitely going to do more research on that. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because like I, it's something I've always been fascinated by. So I might have to like look into some of what he's been talking about and use him as like a source of information. And then, of course, do my due diligence. That's right. I think we're approaching that time. It's time for you to break into the market. Oh, boy. First trade. First trade. First yeah. trade. But I actually think it would be a much better idea to take some of those principles, Jack's four principles, apply them, figure out something that I'm passionate about that has a good, like, price, whatever, um, maybe set a floor and a ceiling. But, yeah, like, I want, I want to try and make, take Jack's advice and make, like, a really great first investment. And we're going to cut to that. Now, all right, what up guys? It's Rohan, it's a little bit later and I am here ready to make my first trade with my brokerage account set up and everything good to go. I'm very excited for this. So I've done some research, I've done some looking around and I think I have the perfect stock to make my first trade with. Now, as you guys know, I'm a creative person. I'm a filmmaker. I handle video here at Benzinga. And so, you know, what better than, drum roll please. Hiya. So that might have been a weird sound and it was a little bit cringy, but it's it's H-U-Y-A. That is the name of the stock. It is essentially the Chinese like Twitch. It's a streaming company that allows viewers to give gifts. Um, and it, you know, it had recently had a run. Basically, it like went up in price by about 19% recently. But for a number of reasons, you know, it, things are looking good. As far as the amount goes, I think I'm about I'm going to buy about three shares because I, I decided for me personally, and you guys can decide for you, that about $100 is what I'm willing to lose right now. It's nothing crazy, but I figured, you know, 100 bucks for a trade kind of just made sense there. So I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger now uh, and be someone who owns stocks, which I'm excited for.
you guys go ahead and make your first trade or whatever. Let us know what ideas, what picks you guys have down in the comments below. Anyways, I'm going to shoot back over to us on set to finish up this episode. All right, that was a great first episode. First trade show. First episode complete. First episode, first trade. First episode, first trade. Is that going to be like our typical close? Are you going to do that every time? I mean, do you want me to do it every time? Yeah, I kind of do. That was pretty sweet. First episode. Come on, join in. First trade. Come on. That's your thing. No, no, come on. You got to do it. I'm not doing it. That's your thing. All you got to do is snap and like, I... Listen. You guys need to make fun of him or something for being so no, boring. I that. No, I just I just want you to do the thing. I don't uh, want to do the thing. All right, guys. Well, it's been an amazing episode, and I'm so excited to do more. I'm excited to be an official investor and, you know, excited to hear what some of your questions are, what some of your experiences are. And I encourage you all to go ahead and, like me, do your research, figure out what you want to do. And if you want to, make that first trade. Don't wait for it. Just do it <laughs> but yeah man just a quick reminder you guys gotta let us know if you want if you want to see our show again if you want to see our faces so you know comment down below that's also another place where you can submit your questions like subscribe post notifications you know the deal join us on discord and with that we'll see you next week first trade show complete thanks guys see you next time yeah Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.